Today, we're going to be talking about Intel, one of the world's largest chip makers. We're going to be looking at the history of the business, the business model itself, and what I think about the stock as far as being a buy or a sell right now. So let's go ahead and get into it. Welcome to Stock Stories. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to the show. Hi, my name is Alex Mason. I'm your stock storyteller and you're watching Stock Stories. This is the show dedicated to helping you decode the business behind the stock. And what we're doing here is studying the entire S&P 500. We're going through every component. I've been doing this since 2018. <laughs> Hard for me to believe it's been that long, but we've gone over well over a hundred companies and we're going over one today. So let's go ahead and talk now about Intel. Remember that company we talked about during the AMD episode last week, Fairchild Semiconductor? Well, two of its founders, Robert Noyce and Gordon Moore, they invented the integrated circuit while they were there. And that was back in the late 1950s and early 1960s. Now, by 1968, the two of them got together with a friend named Andy Grove and they decided, hey, let's start a company together because they wanted to create integrated circuits at a bigger scale. And so that's what they did. They created the company Intel. And the reason they named it Intel was the first three letters stand for integrated and then EL stands for electronics. So integrated electronics. Now, at first they created advanced semiconductors that had memory on them. That was their first product line. And by 1971, they went public. Now, it just so happened that one of Intel's customers, which was this Japanese calculator company, came to Intel and wanted some help with a new design. So one of Intel's engineers named Ted Hoff was tinkering around and he found that he could cram a whole bunch of transistors, these little electronic components, onto a single chip. And this was the birth of the microprocessor. Now, why does that matter? Well, the implications are actually pretty enormous. You see, a microprocessor can store information and perform calculations, and it's all contained on this little chip. So you could put this chip inside a calculator, you could put it inside lighting, you can put it inside other electronics. It's basically a mini computer. Now, if you're getting value out of this episode, I would really appreciate it if you just take one second to tap that like button and show me some love. Thank you so much. Now, a couple of years later, by 1974, Intel had perfected this design. And so they released a better version of the microprocessor, and it became the de facto industry standard. And this is what set Intel's business apart. They out-innovated everyone because this microprocessor had more capability than any computer out at that time. So every computer maker wanted to buy Intel's chips. Intel did have some setbacks. There was a year where they had to lay off 30% of their workforce because there was just a really bad recession. And then they also started facing increasing competition from companies like Motorola. But throughout all of this, they survived and they kept perfecting their products to make them faster and cheaper. Now, by the early 90s, this was when Intel was really seeing like the heyday of its growth. It started making over a billion dollars in profits by 1992. And just a few years later, those profits increased to over $5 billion. So this was a very fast growing company at the time. One of the things that Intel management did to stay ahead of the curve 
was instead of just designing the chips, they started moving to actually designing the boards that those chips would go on. So that way the computer manufacturers could just buy those assemblies directly from Intel. And there's a little bit more of a value add in that process. So that's one of the things that they did to stay ahead. So what does Intel do today? Well, they still very much do what they did back in the day when they got started. They make the physical infrastructure for all sorts of computing devices. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at my computer right now and I can see that Intel sticker sitting there letting me know that there's an Intel chip powering this machine I'm recording on right now. Now, remember Gordon Moore, one of the guys that we talked about back at the very beginning? Well, he came up with something called Moore's Law. And this was really important and has played a really big role in computing since he invented it. Moore's law states that every two years, you can double the number of transistors that you put on a circuit. And this is pretty incredible because you think about this like from a very basic perspective. You start with one, then you double it the two years later to two. That doubles to four, doubles to 16, 32, 64, 128, 256. You get the idea. <laughs> now, this law has held up amazingly well over the years, and it's because of advances in chip design and manufacturing. So Intel harnesses this law to this day in order to make their products better, make them cheaper, make them faster, make them have more capacity. Intel sees itself as working within four key areas or trends. Ubiquitous computing, pervasive connectivity, cloud to edge infrastructure and artificial intelligence. You might be saying, sounds great, Alex. What does that mean? Ubiquitous computing means that we need raw computing power everywhere because constant amounts of data is being generated every single day and every single moment. So you need raw computing power in order to handle all of that. Pervasive connectivity refers to the fact that everything is also connected. We have devices that are now connected to each other in a way that they never were before. So we need devices to be able to actually talk to each other and technology to do that. Cloud to edge infrastructure, that just refers to the fact that everything is moving toward cloud computing, as opposed to the old days where everything was based on servers that companies own themselves. Now we can access computing power that someone else has without actually owning it. So it makes things more efficient for everyone. And artificial intelligence is just how digital decisions are being made by machines rather than humans. So we're programming machines to make more complex and better decisions without human intervention. Now, Intel has a number of segments, but the two biggest are the client computing group and the data center group. In the client computing group, it's all about making chips for computers like my laptop that I just talked about that's their biggest segment. And then they also have this data center group, this data solutions group, where they're making infrastructure for data centers. Now, of course, data centers are this big secular trend. Everyone's building them in order to support the cloud. Now, I wasn't super impressed looking at these two groups, because even though they're leaders in each of these segments, they're not really growing that much. They've kind of already taken most of the market share. And so now they're just trying to defend their market share. But one thing I did find interesting when looking at Intel's business segments is they have this smaller segment called Mobileye. And Mobileye is something I didn't even know about. It 
this is a segment where they're working on autonomous driving technology and creating the computer systems behind that in order to make that possible. And this segment is interesting. They already have $1.4 billion in revenue in this segment, and it's actually a profitable segment. So I was pretty impressed by that. If Intel can continue to grow in this area, I think that overall, the company would have some more growth. Okay, let's talk financials now. How is this business doing in terms of actually generating money? Well, the thing about Intel, it's kind of the stalwart company. It's been around a long time. So you would expect it to be pretty profitable. And in fact, it is. Intel is a business that's producing around $30 billion or so in operating cash flow every single year. So that's the good news. The bad news is it's not really growing that cash flow that much. Similar to its revenue growth, which has been, eh, it's been okay. Its actual earnings and operating cash flow has not been growing that much over the past few years. And I don't see it growing that much in the future unless they expand their other divisions like this mobile eye division, for example. Another thing I noticed about Intel's financials when I was going through them is looking at the balance sheet, which tells you what the company owns versus what they owe. Within the balance sheet, there's a line item there for property, plant, and equipment, which basically means the physical assets that the business owns. And in Intel's case, they have over $150 billion worth of property, plant, and equipment. I mean, that's crazy. That's a huge amount of capital that is literally invested in physical infrastructure. So this is a capital-intensive business. Why does that matter? Well, the more money a company has tied up in things like property, plant, and equipment, then that's less money that it can use to do things like pay out dividends or invest in maybe higher growth projects that don't require that much capital. Basically, when you've got a lot of money tied up in something, then that's money that's just kind of sitting there. Like in order for Intel to simply maintain its business, it has to keep investing lots of money and feeding it into the property and equipment, which is okay, but it's not as efficient as a company that maybe is lighter on its capital and can generate higher returns on that capital. They pay a nice dividend, which right now sits at around a 3% yield. So that's definitely higher than your average company in the market. So if you like dividends, that's a positive. And then Intel management also likes to buy back stock. So that's another way that they return cash to shareholders. So what do I think about Intel? Well, Intel is a steady company. They're a pretty strong company. They have a great market share. They've been in business for years. Their financials look good. The thing is, they just don't have that growth. So if you're looking for growth, Intel is definitely not the place to look. And they're constantly trying to defend their market share against other competitors like AMD, like we covered last week. So go ahead and check out that video here on the side if you haven't checked out the AMD episode yet. But as far as Intel goes, I think that they just require too much working capital. It takes $20 billion of them pumping money into their business every year just to maintain. And that's a lot of money. So it's a company that's more on the defensive as opposed to the offensive. That's how I'm looking at this. So I would pass on Intel for now. But thank you so much for watching. And if you're interested in more stock stories, again, check out this video here with AMD that I did last week. And stay tuned because we're going to be going through the entire S&P 500 week after week. Thank you so much.